Hello there. Welcome back to another episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. We are back, actually recording with each other for the first time in a few months now. This is episode 59. I'm Eli. I'm Jacob. And you heard it right, folks. He's back. Jacob is finally back. We're finally recording again. This is this feels like a long time in the making. It sure it has been a long time coming. I'm very I'm very glad to be back. Um, yeah, let, let's get to it. Before we get to it, though, due to changes in Jacob and um, my schedules recently, we are going to change in a galaxy from recording weekly to recording bi-weekly. So expect a new In a Galaxy episode um, every two weeks. We want to go back to recording as um, weekly as soon as possible, and we will as soon as our schedules free up a little bit. Um, but yeah, back to episode 59 of Star Wars and Galaxy. Um, we watched um, three The Clone Wars episodes today from season four, A Friend in Need, the standalone episode, and the start of the what I call the undercover Obi-Wan arc. Deception and friends and enemies. And a friend in need. Lux and Ahsoka are reunited. Um, Lux confronts the Separatist Council. Um, he barges into negotiations, actually. Confronts the Separatist Council. Uh, airs out all the dirty laundry. Says, Dooku murdered my mother in cold blood. Um, he's taken away... Um, Dooku, uh, he has a he has a little Skype call on the on the old hologram with Dooku. Dooku's very unhappy with him, obviously. Um, and Dooku's about to uh, have him killed, but Ahsoka comes and and rescues Lux. Um, however, Lux then betrays Ahsoka and goes to the planet of Karlak to meet up with the Death Watch because he's made a deal with the Death Watch um, to give the Death Watch information. That they will help use, or that they will use to help kill uh, Dooku with him. Um, however, there's some drama with the Death Watch. Um, the Death Watch attack an innocent village. Ahsoka fights them. It's revealed that she's a Jedi. Um, there's a lot of fighting. Eventually, uh, they eventually they escape, and um, Lux kind of reconsiders his allegiance uh, to the Death Watch, and that is pretty much that. Yeah. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. Um, this episode's fortune cookie is friendship shows us who we really are. What do you think about that? Um, I think I think it is definitely true for this episode. Um, I'm not sure if it's the most relevant fortune cookie they could have chosen, but you know, I think it, I think it does have a lot to unpack. You know, um, Lux's friendship um, with Ahsoka ends up kind of help save. It helps him save himself because he, he has to be more focused in the end on saving Ahsoka and on, on helping her than on killing Dooku. So in that way, I guess Ahsoka's friendship helps remind Lux that, you know, being out for revenge, trying to murder people, that isn't really who he is. Absolutely. And so that, I think that's one way that, that we kind of see this, uh, this fortune cookie being born out. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm forgetting the other example. But yeah, that's that's one way we kind of see it. Absolutely. I agree. I think I think this is a very Star Wars fortune cookie. I actually quite enjoy this fortune cookie much more than the other two, I feel like. Um, it, you know, 
the villains are constantly threatened by the heroes' friendships. Yeah. You know, you see that, um, I think I referenced this on the, one of the theme between themes episodes, um, you see that uh, frown from Palpatine when he goes, your friends. And then he goes, this very ghastly frown, and because the idea of having a friendship is so foreign to him. Yeah. Um, and I, I love this, and I love the, um, you know, the idea that, that Ahsoka here is, as Lux will later say in the episode of Warp uh, on Two Fronts, from making a terrible mistake. Um, you know, friends care about each other, but they're also honest with each other. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really interesting sentiment. Um, want to get into the episode? Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's dive right in. What do you got? Okay, so first we got to dive into a logistical problem. Okay, you have the Republic and the Separatists meeting for a peace conference. Yes. You can choose any planet for them to meet for a peace conference on. And you choose Mandalore. Yeah. Why, I ask you? Why Mandalore? I mean, Mandalore is traditionally, or not traditionally, but I guess, I guess Mandalore does serve as neutral ground. Okay, And sure. Mandalore is very, you know, Satine, obviously. She's very used to Mandalore being neutral. So, you know, in that way, I think it, it makes sense. Um, it makes sense as a neutral planet, except for the fact that, you know, we see in season two of the Clone Wars, there are like dozens of other neutral planets that they could have gone to that don't have warrior tribes constantly trying to, to fight off everybody and like yeah. aren't in metropolitan big cities where anybody could just burst and interrupt them like Lux inevitably does. Yeah, that is a that is a fair point. I'd say the story needs it to. The story doesn't need it to. Most of the story doesn't take place on Mandalore at all. Yeah, it's it's so yeah, that, that's it, that's a fair point. It is a it's, bit it is a bit so odd, odd when you yeah. when you when you think about it. But I think you know, I think I don't think it, it had very much thought put into it. I don't really think it needs too much thought put into it. Yeah. In my it, opinion. It, it just yeah. it is what it is. Um, yeah. It just seemed a little odd to me that they put a peace conference on Mandalore, which which will, by the time the show completes, have three separate civil wars on this that planet. Yeah. More conflicts on Mandalore shown in the series than on any other planet. Really? Wow. That's that's I, just impressive for the Clone Wars. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you know, I have my I have my problems with the Mandalorians, but you can't even be mad at that point. That's just no. that's just dedication. Like, you want to have some wars, you better go all out, and that is exactly oh, yeah. what Mandalore. Absolutely. That is what yeah. Mandalore does. Yeah. Um. I also want to ask you another question. And I'm really curious about this one. This is not me criticizing the story. I'm just very curious about this. How could the Separatists arrest Lux so easily? It's neutral territory. Lux doesn't actually do anything. There's no destruction of property. There's no, you know, violent threats. There's no violence at all. I didn't know you could arrest somebody for slander. Um, I think, I think, uh, I have a couple theories about that. I think, um, as we kind of know, like, obviously it's very hard to make these sit-downs between the, the Republic and the Separatists happen. You know, we see them kind of 
they try to happen and they fall apart a couple times throughout the Clone Wars. Um, so I think maybe the Mandalorian authorities, um, they probably have some vested interest in, in making sure that this meeting goes well, um, hosting it and all. So I think that they don't want to do anything to jeopardize that. It is also possible that because Lux is seen as a separatist, and because he's seen as like a member of the separatists, it's possible that somehow they maybe they don't even view it as a hostile arrest. Maybe they just think, oh, you know, it's just drama. So I think that that could be a possibility. It doesn't. It's not a very good. It's not. Yeah, it's not a very good. Just- um, you actually just gave me another thought, actually, yeah. which is that given that Lux is still considered as a separatist, I wonder if they had him arrested on the grounds of treason. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think they they even said like one of the dudes even called him a traitor. Yeah, one of the separatist council members. So clearly, they are they're not they're not taking this lightly. Yeah, absolutely, they're not. Um, by the Okay, here's actually something interesting I thought about this episode. Um, did you think of the episode Trespass when you were thinking of this episode? Uh, remind me again which episode Trespass is. Oh, it's the one in season one with the Pantorans on the moon. Yeah, I have to say it didn't really remind me of that one a whole lot. The parallels for me, at least, are striking. Oh, how so? It's a standalone episode. I think both episodes are very good quality. Um... And they both have a snowy planet. They have a new. They have a new-ish society introduced to us. New characters introduced to us. Um, and they both have. Um, they, they have very similar kind of narrative structures where both times there's a character who needs to realize what they've done wrong. It's actually a concept I made up. Um, I didn't make this up. I just made up the term, which is a very Star Wars thing to do: repent or regret. Mm. I, what if, do you mean if, by that? If a character's on a path where they're doing things wrong, they have two options. Repent, see the error of their ways, and learn to do better. Uh, I have some Clone Wars-esque examples. You know, of course, Lux in this episode. Ventress is a good example. Dendup, the king of Onderon in the Onderon arc. Uh, or regret, double down, eventually regret the consequences. Uh, Chicho, who's the Prime Minister of the Pantorans, who eventually gets killed for engaging in a war that should not happen in the first place, but he's too stubborn to see it. Maul, who fails to realize that Obi-Wan was defending himself, and that all of this revenge he's seeking is pretty much made up and in his head, and keeps, keeps you know, going down like Sisyphus, pushing up the rock, up the hill, and then falling back down. Or like the father who sees the error of sees the error of his ways, but a little too late, like before his daughter's gone, um, and you know his son is just going rampaging on Mortis. Yeah. Repent or regret. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Star Wars definitely. Uh, we we do see this a lot, and I think especially in the Clone Wars, Star Wars has a way of. You know, they say no good deed goes unpunished. For Star Wars, I think no bad deed goes unpunished. Like, especially in, in maybe maybe not in things like The Mandalorian, but, you know, in The Clone Wars, in all the mainline movies, um, 
in the in the main saga it's very much about kind of that that uh moral compass and that good versus evil fight which basically says if you if you engage in evil if you do if you do something to hurt others that you know is wrong and hurtful like it will bite you in the butt and it will corrupt you and that corruption will be your downfall you know we see that with palpatine um yeah we see that with vader and palpatine for example that's a great example they're both complicit in horrible horrible things that they do together but at the very end vader kind of repents and well he does get killed by force lightning but you know he does get redeemed um, he saves his son yeah versus palpatine who again you know doubles down at every turn just chooses to cause more hurt and more pain yeah and what happens to him he dies um on the second death star he tries to come back but then he's killed by his own granddaughter who then rejects his name and takes the name of his mortal enemy repent or regret 100 percent uh yeah uh Anything you have um, for this episode before we get on to the planet of Karlak? No, um, I think we can. I think we can go right on to Karlak. So we gotta cover. I think the Sarlacc in the room. <laughs> the Sarlacc in the room. The thing that's going to swallow us up if we don't talk about this. <laughs> and I gotta talk about one of my favorite characters, and I know one of your least favorite characters in Star Wars. Mm. Lady Bo-Katan of House Christ. Here's a little fun little trivia fact about this episode. Did you know when this episode released, um, this character was not named Bo-Katan, and they, Dave Filoni did not have connection to the Christ family at all. Wow, I did not know that. The character was so popular as Pre Vizsla's right-hand ba- um, woman that they gave her a backstory afterwards, and now That's she's so live cool. action. Oh, that's so cool. So, like, over time, they, I guess they kind of, they kind of retro-engineered her to be a much bigger character than was originally intended. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. One of the biggest crimes of this episode, and I love this episode so much, is I think it's underutilization of Bo-Katan. I, I like, you know, Bo doesn't do enough, I feel like. Um, also. I mean, she she plays a very Boba Fett role, actually, where she just stands there and looks cool, says a yeah, few lines yeah, every once in a while. But I would have, and I, I still want to... Yeah, she has a lot of, like, little one-liners, I'd say. Yeah, I, I and I still want, but I wanted to see... I wanted to know Bo before she started to see the error of her ways. Mm. I wanted to see what she was like as a person. Because every time we see Bo afterwards, it's her starting to realize the error of her ways. I would argue that she never really realizes the error of her ways. But that's a topic for another time. Um, I think in this, she certainly doesn't see the error of her ways, but again, oh, she's kind of she a little, does not. No. she's like a side, she's like a side character. Like in this, she definitely feels more of like a episode five Boba or like a Captain Phasma 
Absolutely. You know, like someone who looks, yeah, as you said, looks cool, maybe not the most important to the story. Absolutely. And that's okay. That it is necessarily it is okay, yeah. That's not necessarily always a bad thing. Obviously we have very so that can lead to some pretty interesting things. Absolutely. As we, can, as we see with Bokatan, as we see with Boba Fett. It can. Um another thing I realized, by the way, um did you realize that one of the first interactions between John Favreau and Katie Sackoff was on this episode? Really? Because Favreau was Vizsla and Sackoff was Bokatan. Oh. Before the Mandalorian. I didn't know John Favreau played previously. That's so yep. cool. So uh, that's the, that's a that's a fun one. Um, another thing before um, I ask for your thoughts. The scene with R two D two, that first scene with R two D two and the droids. Yeah. Was that meant to be like a horror type scene? Because it was really creepy. It was very creepy. I felt like... <laughs> I'm not sure exactly if it was... like, and, and forgive me if I'm totally wrong. Because I haven't seen this movie in like 10 years or something. But it, rem it kind of reminded me of Toy Story. When there were the broken toys or something in Toy Story. Maybe, maybe I'm... I haven't maybe seen I'm those in a long time. So I'm blanking I'm completely on myself. Off base, but it really reminded me... I don't know, something about that scene screamed uh, reference... Like it definitely to me felt like it was referencing something else, but I don't know what I don't know what it was referencing. So and it was on it was an odd subplot because like they're like come come help us and you you're like oh no he's in trouble and then the next time he fixed them all and now they're going to help him. Yeah, like the two stories seems disjointed for some weird reason. Well, in a way, I think that that kind of reflects the uh, the title of this of the episode a little bit. Like, friendship shows who we really are. You know, obviously, R two R two D two. He's a hero because he takes like a bad situation, and he then he actually fixes the droids. He doesn't get scared. He doesn't get hostile. But he takes a risk, and 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 yeah, he takes a risk to to help others when he could have tried to just uh, stay safe and not get hurt and that ends up paying off for him yeah it, it, it's a really but it's, i think it's in a way a, it kind of it kind of it's kind of fitting for this episode i'd say it is kind of fitting i just wish they set it up a little bit better because it was it it was leading somewhere else you thought it was leading somewhere else i, think, I thought it was leading to where r2 was gonna have to fight his way through those droids because oh yeah because they I, were I, surrounding I, him really weirdly like some horror scene yeah, I mean, I don't know. Personally, I thought they did an okay. Yeah, I thought they, I thought they, I thought they did a fine job of, That's of just setting me it up. Um, I didn't really think it was a big problem, but I guess it felt did feel yeah. a little bit like it could have gone. Definitely could have gone in a different direction as well. I agree. By the way, let's talk about Ahsoka's. Like, oh my god, such a savage line right here. Here's your soup. Careful not to choke on your stupidity. Yeah, bro. Ahsoka, Ahsoka goes off in this episode. Ahsoka, I, Ahsoka goes off. I love when Ahsoka goes off. Um, yeah, I love that she gets to just kind of like, like give like Lux is just trying to like use her for his own ends, and he's trying to kind of you know not like kind of kind of mistreat her or kind of walk all over her, and she she's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I'm Ahsoka Tano. She's like, I'm a Jedi. 
I or Jedi Padawan, I guess. She'd probably say I'm a Jedi. Yeah. She she I would I'd say she's a Jedi, you know, Padawan. Yeah. No. Disregard the scene from Rebels, whatever. Uh, yeah, disregard, disregard all the stuff from Rebels. You know, she, <laughs> I love, I love Ahsoka in this. She really kind of absolutely steps up and 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 claims the respect that she deserves, and she stands up. Yeah. But then there's a part of her. You see, there's a part of her when, when like right before they hand back the um, the women to the village, there's a part of her that actually wants to believe that death watch is not as bad as she thought it was yeah i think that speaks to her her optimism you know that's kind of yeah that's kind of the jedi way you know everyone ever no one is above redemption yeah at least that's ahsoka's way i'm not sure if that's the jedi way of this time as we'll get yeah, to maybe not of this episodes. time but like yeah inter- i think maybe it's maybe overall the core jedi way i think it's the overall kind of the spirit of the the light side you know like Luke Skywalker, obviously yeah, choosing to redeem Palpatine, stuff like that. Yeah, maybe it's more of a light side thing. I don't know. You, 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 you kind of get you get what I mean. I know I get what you mean. Um, yeah. Uh, you have anything from this first part on Karlak other than your hatred for Bo-Katan? Uh, maybe hatred is a is a, is a strong. Maybe maybe hatred is a is a. Yeah, I don't want Meg Dowell to angrily at us again for this. <laughs> Oh, that was awesome. I love, I love, I love getting, I love getting some love on Twitter. That was, that was a lot of fun. Um, I thought Bo-Katan was cool. Um, you know, obviously felt a little, felt a little mad for, for Ahsoka. She was, she was kind of getting verbally and, uh, physically, uh, disrespectful towards Ahsoka. Um, so I think I, I, I kind of, you know, as a Bo-Katan, as a Bo-Katan skeptic, I think I don't really have to say a lot for this episode. Yeah. But this, um, this episode is your you strongest know. argument as a Bo-Katan skeptic. It's one of my Easily. strongest. I think. Yeah. I think. I think my stands my strong... by as a village is murdered. And I think I think it's okay to like like characters who do bad stuff. That's not my point. But I think I think I think I'd say the strongest argument for my like kind of skepticism of the way Bo-Katan is being handled. Is that we never really see any attempt at redemption. Like every every moment when she ends up fighting one of the other villains, or one of the villains, because I guess she's now kind of being positioned as maybe like an anti-hero or a neutral force, is the fact that she only does it because she disagrees with them, not because not because she realizes that they're they're doing something wrong. Um, and and maybe we'll see that change. You know, I'm excited to see where they uh, I'm excited to see where they where they take her in a mandalorian so you know it's it's never it's never too late to never too late to make me change my mind um i think the mandalorian is going to change a lot of things about how we view those past actions yeah i definitely feel like there's wherever they go there's a lot of there's probably a lot of missing pieces i mean i i definitely think there's missing pieces to the puzzle of of bo katan and who she is as a character um and I'm excited to see those get get unfurled. Um, yeah, it's kind of reminded me of how far how far she's come, but also I think how far she has to go as a character, and how far I think they still can can push her. Because I feel like we haven't really seen Bo-Katan go out go out of her comfort zone. That's what I would say. Yeah. Like the plot hasn't really pushed her to question her ways. Oh, then that again, would, that would put it in a really interesting place. 
I would argue, actually, we have seen Bo-Katan pushed out of her comfort zone, but we mm. don't know how she's reacted to it yet. Oh, how, how so? How when so? Din gets the Darksaber. Mm, yeah, that's true. That is Bo being pushed out of her comfort zone for like one she of the sees, first times in the story. She really wants, like, yeah, she sees it as her birthright, I guess, kind of. Yeah. And so she knows. Definitely. And she knows Din doesn't care. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, he defeated Gideon, not her. So it's it's going to be this really strange, you know, I, I've heard speculation about Bo being an antagonist in season three of The Mandalorian. Not, like, necessarily bad, but, like, opposing to Din's objectives. Because, again, Din has the Darksaber, and Bo doesn't. So, and the one, and that's the one thing she wants more than anything. She wants the, the leadership position. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, you definitely, you definitely have a point there. Um, yeah. So that's going to be, yeah, again, who knows where they're going to go. Um, it'll definitely, definitely be interesting. Um, absolutely. But yeah, this definitely shows kind of what I think is like the underlying, um, the dark, or I guess you could say, like one of the dark sides of Mandalorian culture, or the way that like it's interpreted by some Mandalorians, and like a lot of the villains in general in stars, you know, like always this thing of you know the, the the weak should rule the strong. Everything has to be super hierarchical. And I think what I like about Star Wars is that one of the core messages throughout 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 all of Star Wars is kind of rejecting rejecting the idea that the weak should fear the strong yeah absolutely and i think i like and and always having the heroes are the ones who stand and i guess this isn't just unique to star wars but like the heroes are those who who choose to to kind stand of stand up, up to stand up um for those who can't stand up for themselves and also to kind of reject the idea of like that there needs to be a hierarchy yeah. And I think one of the problems with the Jedi now they lose their way is they in their own way, um, in the Clone Wars kind they kind of fall victim to that. They kind of see them subconsciously kind of buy into this hierarchical uh mentality with the way that they kind of treat it's like just watching the way that they treat um like non Jedi. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Um I want to talk about this one shot. Um, when Vizsla says, um, welcome to Death Watch, yeah. that shot is one of my favorite shots oh, yeah, probably so, in yeah. the season. Yeah, that's, the, right after know, the, that's right after they burn the village, right? They, right after they burn the village. Yeah. Fire with snow. You know, they, they, you already have the harsh environment, which is the snow. But then they add fire to it, and it's contrasting. Basically... Welcome to Death Watch, Lux. You really screwed yourself on this one. Yeah, I think it yeah, I think they do a great job. Um obviously that that shot in particular, I love it because it, it kind of it shows I don't know, it, it's it, it feels like a cool device how it shows um maybe a little bit of Lux's thought process as well, like, oh this is the Death Watch. And they kind of they kind of make sure to hammer the point home, you know, with that shot being at the moment at it as it is, of like this is the Death Watch, 
like th- this is what you're choosing like you you may want this because of dooku and you may want this like because of you think you want it for the right reasons to join with them but whether you like it or not this is what you're like getting involved in this is what you're endorsing basically this is like yeah this is what you're doing absolutely um i uh there's also that thing with um after the attack um where uh luck says to to Vizsla, I believe you had honor, but you're just murderers. Um, and then Previsla does the uh, false equivalency stuff that dark side people often do, where he goes, you know, hey, look, you're driven by revenge um, on Death Watch. I, I'm sorry, you're vis- you're driven by revenge on Dooku. So are we. And Dooku and the Jedi aren't that different but i think he kind of has a point also sorry sorry go ahead i'll save Uh, it for when you're dooku and the jedi aren't that different at the end of the day so by the law of averages you should be against the jedi yeah i think i think i think he actually does have a point though when he's saying like because i think i think he kind of has a point though because he kind of tells lux like hey at the end of the day, you're out for revenge too, and I think that that is kind of Lux's wake up call, um, of of being like, oh wait, like I like at the end of the day, I also want to kill someone. I also am like that is my primary goal, and I'm like making sacrifices, making betrayals to make that happen. I agree with and you. So in that I think respect. that in a way, he may not be totally. I think for his from his own perspective and for his own sake he might be very wrong this is but i think in terms of it is kind of even though he is very wrong he is also right in that he is saying even though he's saying it for the wrong reasons he is saying exactly what lux needs to hear i think you're right i think you know in that statement except for the you should be against the Jedi part, there is nothing that Vizsla says that's wrong. It's yeah. just the context of how you take it. There's nothing that Vizsla says that's false. It's just how you perceive what he says. Because, you know, yeah. the Jedi aren't that different from Dooku. But that's not saying that Dooku that the Jedi are bad and Dooku are bad and what's the difference is that the Jedi have lowered themselves to Dooku's level beyond the Clone Wars. You know, uh, in, a, in a more meta sense, you know, you've talked a lot about Jedi losing their way. This is a good example of that. Vizsla unintentionally says something pretty true. I also love... Um, uh, jumping to the end of the episode, I love this uncertain ending. I love that not everything is fixed at the end. I love yeah. that Lux doesn't know where he's going to turn next. One of yeah. my wishes is that we could have gotten one episode, one, of Lux in between this episode and War on Two Fronts where we see him on Onderon. Because he's, cause, you know, he's unsure about his destiny in this 
And then in War on Two Fronts, he's like, so now I'm an Andoronian freedom fighter. And it's just very, it feels a little bit jarring to, you know, it feels like he found his destiny in between those two episodes and we never really got to see it. Yeah. I would have loved to get to see it, to see how he came to Andron, see what other mistakes he made, to see what other processes that he went on to find himself. That's just me, though. Yeah, yeah, no, I would have loved that as well, kind of. Because his process, we don't really see a lot of it. We just see, like, him kind of acting crazy. Yeah. That is definitely what we see. Um, uh, I think that's everything I have. Do you have more stuff? Uh, no, I'm good. Okay. Um, what are your overall thoughts about this episode? Overall, um, I think this is a very solid episode. Um, I think it has a lot of cool messages. Um, and I like it for that. But I think that... Um, It does have some uh, some some problems or some head scratchers. Yeah, overall, I think it's I think it's good. Um, so uh, a little context: I re I was doing a Clone Wars rewatch a few months ago, and I didn't take a second look at this episode. But when I saw it a few months ago, I'm like, "Wow, this is this is really good." Um, and then I'm like, "Wait, who directed this episode?" And then the title card came up. Directed by Dave Filoni. Mm. And I said to myself, Oh, I see, I see, I see. I thought this episode was incredible. Again, as I said before, um, I view it as an evolution of Trespass. Um, yeah. In the same way that in Rebels, Fight or Flight and Flight of the Defender from seasons one and four are basically two versions of the same episode. I feel like Trespass and A Friend in Need are two versions of the same episode. They're... But both times one is the less the more kid-centric um less mature version of what's going on um that still has those themes but you gotta look and then the other one is to show how the same story can still play out but the characters have changed now yeah and how that works for the characters um yeah i would argue that in terms of like comparing the two episodes it's also about showing how much the characters have developed to yeah. see how they handle and respond to two similar situations maybe very differently and maybe their role maybe their role is very different yeah because of I find how, that, they've, how they've grown and changed i find that ahsoka's role in this episode um compared to Anakin and Obi-Wan's role in Trespass is a lot more nuanced. Like, Obi-Wan and Anakin just is like, just are like, so yeah, you guys gotta stop fighting. Yeah. And Ahsoka is actively considering all sides of the story, actively considering how Lux is feeling in this. Um, it, it, Obi-Wan and Anakin, and I understand the situation is different, but Obi-Wan and Anakin feel a little bit more flat as characters. They feel like they have the one note that they're going on, and yeah. Ahsoka feels like she's constantly developing as this episode's developing. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Yeah. Um, this is, by the way, spoiler, my favorite of the three episodes we're going to talk about today. Mm. Um, I think it's a good one. It's a very good one. 
Um, okay, should we get on to deception? Uh, yeah, deception. Okay. Let's do it. In deception, um, the Jedi and the Republic learn of a plot by um, criminal mastermind Moralo Ival to assassinate Chancellor Palpatine. Um, Ival is allying with Separatist forces and other bounty hunters to carry out this deed. Um, and the Jedi decide that they're going to do something about it. Um, so what they do is they have a sniper kill, in air quotes, Obi-Wan on a, on a regular uh, scouting with him, Anakin, and Ahsoka. Obi-Wan is dead to the world when his body falls, but of course, as we know, because, you know, the rest of the Clone Wars and A New Hope have to happen, Obi-Wan's still alive. They faked his death so that they could plant him as um, the sniper that killed him, Rako Hardeen, and try to find out what Evolve's up to. This plan indeed works. Um, Obi-Wan, as Hardeen, finds Evolve uh, and his new associate, bounty hunter Cad Bane, and they escape from prison, Republic prison, in a prison riot, um, and get away en route to Nalhuta, where the next episode begins. Um, okay. So, the fortune cookie of this episode, all warfare is based on deception. Before we analyze this at all, I gotta say, I know I've mentioned this before, I hate when they use an ep the name of an episode in the fortune cookie. Yeah. It feels lazy to me. That's just me, though. Uh, what do you think about this fortune cookie? All warfare is based on deception. Um, I think they could have come up with their own. Um, uh, thank you, Sun Tzu. Um, but this is Star Wars. Um, but thank oh, wait, you this is, it's a Sun Tzu quote? Yeah, all warfare is based oh. on deception. I didn't and realize it was a Sun Tzu quote. Good call. It's like, Good one call. Of the most, it's like one of his most famous quotes. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, I think it's very true. Um, I think it's true on multiple levels. Um, and, and, you know, we can see in this episode, obviously, there's a deception, but also the entire Clone Wars is deception, you know, um, in terms of Palpatine, you know, trying to secretly planning, planning all his, uh, his, uh, his crazy, uh, machinations. Um, so I think it kind of, in that way. It is. It is definitely true on in more ways than one. I would say. What did you think? I I thought it was fun. I didn't think of that deeper meaning, um, and I'm glad you caught that. Um, yeah, I um, the whole this whole thing with the deception, the initial act of of Obi Wan dying and becoming Hardeen was, in my opinion, and I love this arc, a little too purposefully engineered to drive a wedge, a further wedge between Anakin and the Jedi. I understand that that's part of this show's goal, but there are a couple of opportunities where I do feel like Anakin could have been notified about what happened and still not jeopardize the mission. Instead, yeah, he absolutely. is not notified, puts both his and Obi-Wan's life in danger, and, drives, and and slips closer to the dark side. And I'm not just talking about this episode, I'm talking about the next episode as well. 
I just think it's a little too convenient. Um, but that's just me. Yeah, I definitely think it could have been the Jedi definitely took a bit of a, a heavy handed approach and didn't really consider all the consequences. And you know, as Obi Wan says, like, yes, it is it was Anakin's death that sold it reaction. Or it yeah. was Anakin's reaction that sold the fake death. Yeah. But you know, if Anakin's already reacted, why not then put Then him just in a tell loop? him, yeah. You know, because like this is Anakin, you know, he's he's a wild card, you know. I'd, there's probably like a fifty per there's like a fifty percent chance that Anakin would have just seen Obi Wan die and then go psycho and like single handedly capture Dooku and like kill the entire Separatist commands commanders. So the entire Separatist Council, I mean. So yeah. like they definitely could have thought this one through a little more, I would say. Yeah. And quite and didn't quite do it the right way um yeah but obviously it does show the overall theme of you know the jedi council doesn't really trust anakin and that damages anakin and that is difficult for anakin and that allows palpatine to, you know kind of sneak in there and absolutely kind of supplant the jedi council as the number one like yeah. number one thing that anakin trusts aside from padme yeah of course um i will say this is just um uh me first of all i want to acknowledge this uh before i get to that putting satine at obi-wan's funeral was harsh yeah that, that was... hit me again they like, had to sell it like, yeah they had to, to sell it but they, they animated it. satine and put her there sobbing yeah yeah uh, i mean they didn't hold back i know they did not hold back um, okay. I don't know about you. The scene f from when Hardeen steps into the bar to when yeah. Obi-Wan completes the transformation. I don't know what the dialogue was in that scene, but I hated a lot of it. Hate is a strong word. I disliked a lot of it. One of the, one of the first things I was like, I'd like to test his midichlorian count. I actually love that line. Like, That's an exception. I love that his line. Blood? That's yeah. weird. I know. It, it's so weird, but I love it so much. But then the line, killing a Jedi was the best move we had. I'm like, you could have revealed that 6,000 ways, and you chose killing a Jedi was the best move we had. Yeah. That's a really weird way of introducing it, but that's just me. Yeah, uh, maybe it was a bit. Yeah, maybe I, it wasn't the the greatest. I don't know. I thought it was. I, I thought it was okay. I also um, thought there was this one that this is just another thing that my, that just and again these sound like major critiques. These only tick me off a little bit. Ivalo killed his mother when he was only a boy. Told the authorities he did it because he was bored. They used that line way too much. Every time there's an opportunity to talk to Morale Evolve, it feels like they're going back to that line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I just um feel definitely like definitely trying to play up the fact that like, ooh, he's a psycho. He's he's, yeah. he's wilding out, you know? And it, it's the thing, and I'm sure we'll get to this next episode when we'll talk about the final two episodes. Evol is built up to be such a threat. And he's really not what does he actually do? Like, O.C., I think O.C. Sobek probably has more credibility than Evol. 
Oh, see, Sobek has a million times more credibility than than um, Marala Evolve. Absolutely. And they even reference it in the story itself when they knock down uh, Evolve into the box in the box episode. And, like, Hardeen absolutely wrecks him. I mean, yeah. Obi-Wan, but, like, it's not even a contest, really. Yeah. I mean, he designed the box. whoop de doo It kills about ten bounty hunters. Cool, cool prank, bro. You know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it does seem, uh, it does seem a little strange. Um, yeah. I will say this, um, though. I love this transformation sequence. The transformation sequence from Obi-Wan, like, ignoring the dialogue, but, like, the actual how they do it with that droid and they, like, punch things in Obi-Wan's face and they make him swallow the rope. Like, that's so weird and so incredibly Star Wars. Yeah. It, it feels creepy. so Star Wars to me. Um, and I love it. Um, yeah. Uh, 100%. What, what do you think about the first parts of these episodes from when Obi-Wan dies to the transformation? Um, I think it's good. Um, very, very, uh, intent, very, very emotionally intense. Um, they really sell it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I think it's great. Um, I do think the idea of Obi-Wan faking his death is a little weird. Um, and it's one of those things that in the bigger picture, I struggle to wrap my head around like, wait, this happens. Like thinking about, oh, wait, this happens in the same universe in the time frame with Attack of the Clones, with Revenge of the Sith. Like, I think the, the, one of the main problems in general, I think, with the Clone Wars, it's kind of a minor problem, but it is a problem, is is kind of really rationalizing that like all this stuff really happened like in between attack of the clones and revenge of the sith um but you know is that not yeah. a problem just wonder is that not a problem you have with all the animated shows or is it mm, the clone wars specifically i think it's the clone wars specifically just because okay. of the time frame and some of the things that are said like you know my powers have doubled since the last time we met and just kind of <laughs> that was a month ago anakin <laughs> yeah yeah if that a month tops, but like that that kind of thing to me, um, yeah, I, I'd say that's not so much a problem with rebels, um, simply because of the time frame and it's not really all the same characters. Um, yeah, I understand. There are less there are less familiar characters in rebels, so and not as many um, familiar characters. Yeah, and resistance as well, and Mandalorian. Um, yeah. The Clone Wars is easily the one with the most familiar faces. I'll give it that. Um, yeah. Um, a couple of minor things moving on. What is it with Moralo Evol and referring to himself in the third person? Yeah, honestly. He, he just randomly does it. That's the thing. They build up, and I know we already talked about this, they build up Evolve to be so threatening. They have him do all these threatening things. They have him say all these threatening things. Or oh, Morado Evolve will have you slaughtered. Yeah. But it's all flash, no bang. Where's this yeah. actual evidence to do anything? Anything that he could have done in this entire arc is done by Cad Bane or Obi-Wan. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um... There are some characters like that in Star Wars. Um, 
That is a recurring problem at times. Just kind of the bark versus the bite. Um, yeah. For all of all, definitely one of the more egregious examples of it, I would say. Um, yeah. But I don't know. It didn't really bug me that much. It kind of, I feel like it makes sense. It makes sense for his character almost that like, maybe, maybe he's built, he's, you know, he's built up this whole reputation, but you know, maybe he's gotten, maybe he's gotten a little too comfortable. Maybe he's gotten a little too soft, you know, maybe he's letting his reputation uh, do the talking a little bit too much. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I, I think that, that it's that easy to is, rationalize for me. It, it doesn't really it, bug me. Yeah, you can rationalize it. For me, I just feel like it's what the episode tells us versus what the episode shows us. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. It, it, it tell us, Morale Evolves, super threatening, scary guy, and shows us guy who says very scary things, but never actually, yeah. like, does anything. Like, yeah, literally, yeah. there is a line where Count Dooku says to him in the box, show us what you're made of, Evolve. That's how far they take like, it. I was just like, well, I guess I'm made of baloney. He doesn't really... <laughs> He doesn't really, yeah. And that kind yeah. of, I think that kind of, though, to me, kind of makes it better because it's actually in-universe acknowledging what's happening. Like, acknowledging that, you know, he talks a lot of big game, but he doesn't really, doesn't really have the chops anymore. Like, he's not, or maybe, like, he talks a lot of big game, but he can't actually, like, he can't actually hang with, like, Bane and Dooku, and he's not actually a big league player, you know? Yeah. But so I think that Dooku calling him out kind of helps rectify the problem by making it an aspect of his character rather than just a problem of the story. But I definitely, yeah. I definitely agree with you that in this episode it can feel a little odd at times. Yeah. Um, there's another thing I want to mention about this. Um, uh, Obi-Wan says on a calm with Yoda and Mace Windu, I'm starting to enjoy playing the villain. Um, <laughs> and of course, it's a little sarcastic Obi-Wan liner sort of thing. But I would have loved to explore that more. There's one thread in this arc that I really wanted to see that we did not get. Which is that Obi-Wan is disguising himself as somebody who does despicable things. Yes. For a while... Obi-Wan Kenobi is dead. Yeah. Like, there's only Morello there, Vol. There's only Rako Hardeen. Rako Hardeen, sorry. Yeah, Rako Hardeen. There's only Rako Hardeen. And I wanted to see a little bit more if part of Obi-Wan became Rako a little bit. I would say definitely not. I mean, of course because not, like, because you know, yeah. It's like really like what kind of what helped uh Cad what what the reason that Cad Main like figured it out in my opinion was because that obi-wan wasn't being like mean like someone like hardeen would be you know like he, he didn't really like he was playing his part but he didn't quite have the same mean spirit of of a, a villain really and i yeah. think that's you know like when when um when uh, I'm not sure if I, I actually can't remember if that's in this episode or next, but you know, when um, when Obi Wan has to is is forced to kill the um, the clone guard and and 
Bane's like, what's wrong with you, Hardy? And he's like, oh, my, my gun jammed. My blaster jammed. Yeah, that's yeah, this episode. blaster yeah. jammed. But yeah, yeah, it's it's the little things like that that I think show that Obi-Wan is still kind of... It, he's still there somewhere. He's, he's still there, yeah. I think, in a way, this also does show kind of the decline of the Jedi overall, you know, the questionable nature of a lot of the things that Obi-Wan is doing and the questionable nature of the the very way that Obi-Wan's faking his death and kind of putting that on Anakin without letting him know. Um, and I think that does give rise to the question of, like, do the ends justify the means for the Jedi? You know, is it changed by the fact that they're trying to save the, the Chancellor? And I think what it really comes down to is, you know, are the Jedi, are they, are they categorical or consequentialist in their, in their, in their morality? And I'd say that, um, over the, the courts of the Clone Wars and over the courts of this time period, the Jedi become more and more consequentialist, where they're like, okay, we're going to do this thing, and maybe it's not good, but, you know, the ends justify the means, and we're doing this yeah. to avoid this. Um, whereas by default, I think the Jedi, you know, they're very, they, you know, they have their code, like, no, we can't do that, because that's against the code, that would be immoral. Yeah. So I think we uh, kind of see that shift, and this exemplifies that shift. Yeah, I, I do think there's that, um, you know, there's that line from Lair of Grievous that we mention all the time, in a war, a danger there is um, of losing of who losing we are. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, what are you willing to do? How far are you willing to go to get there? Um, that's very exemplified by the Jedi throughout the Clone Wars, but in this arc as well, you know. Was it worth it? And Obi-Wan, to his credit, kills not a single person in this entire arc. Wow. But, he, you could argue that Obi-Wan is complicit in other deaths. You know, because Bane was there, because doing his thing, because Aval was there doing his thing, because eventually Embo and, you know, Daron will be there doing yeah. their things. Um, and of course you can make the argument about blowing cover and all that kind of stuff. But the point is, Obi-Wan was standing there and deaths were occurring. Yeah, and he kind of stood by and let them happen because he yeah. needed to not blow his cover. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, he's definitely complicit in a yeah, lot of bad stuff in this. Yeah. He's not complicit by choice. Like, he's not complicit yeah. because he wants to be. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, he's a Jedi. He's a Jedi Knight and he's standing by letting evil happen. Yeah. In service of a, 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 a greater cause, I guess, or yeah. like in service of another cause. And it hurts so much more when you realize that Palpatine's orchestrating this whole arc, like every yeah. other arc of the Clone Wars. He's demoralized. In service of the yeah. grand plan. Yeah, he's like purposefully using this to, to demoralize. And I think that makes it even cooler in some yeah. ways and even more compelling. To yeah, me. It, it makes it compelling, but it also. A little bit for me devalues what obi-wan's doing because hmm. you know that he's not actually servicing that great a cause but he yeah. doesn't know he's not actually servicing a great yeah cause it's i think this, it's this weird catch-22 to me it doesn't really personally i feel like it doesn't really undermine moral dilemma because he doesn't know yeah so it, it, i, don't it, I feel it, like it doesn't really yeah. doesn't really change much to me I don't think it under. I, I think I misspoke there. I don't think it under. I don't think it devalues it. I just think it adds a weird undercurrent to it that I wasn't expecting this 
far around, but okay. Yeah, probably. Um, what do you think of this episode overall? Uh, overall, I quite liked it. Um, I thought the idea of having Obama fake his death was inherent, felt inherently a bit strange, but I liked it. I thought I thought they uh, they executed it. They executed it well. This arc is probably one of the ones I've seen the most. Um, so I guess I've just accepted it by now. Um, it's like, you know, yeah, we want to fix his death. That's, that's just what he does. Um, but yeah. I can see how the decision might seem strange to some people. Um, uh, but yeah, I love this episode. Uh, some of the expository dialogue didn't sit well with me, but that's like the biggest complaint I have with this episode. Um, want to get on to friends and enemies? Yeah, let's do it. In Friends and Enemies, Obi-Wan, the skies is Rachel Hardeen, uh, Cad Bane, and Morale Evil land on the planet of Nalhuta. Uh, they crash land, um, and their goal is to get supplies and get out of there. Does that go well for them? No, of course not, it doesn't, because why would it? Um, they land on the planet, they uh, threaten the owner of a pawn shop, Pablo. Um, and then eventually, um, there's some other mayhem ensues, and just as about, this is they're about to leave on a ship to escape Nalhuda, they are, um, apprehended by Pablo and, um, authorities of the Huts who rule Nalhuda, um, and, uh, Cad Bane sprays some, like, pepper spray or something similar to that in Obi-Wan's face. Um, and, uh, the Star Wars equivalent of pepper spray, um, in Obi-Wan's face, uh, and leads him to be arrested by the Huts, um, while Bane and Eval escape. Um, Obi-Wan had previously placed a tracking device on their ship, so he tells the Huts where, um, it is in exchange for his release, which is not given to him, it's taken by him, um, and the huts shoot uh, their ship down. Uh, and then Anakin gets a tip off from Palpatine that they were headed towards Nalhuda. So they um, chase them on a wild bantha chase um, to a moon of Nalhuda. Actually, I don't know if it's a moon. It's a nearby planet um, where Anakin and Ahsoka attack um, Cad Bane. Um, Rekko Hardeen, or Obi-Wan disguised as Rekko Hardeen, and Maral Oival. They manage to escape knocking out Anakin, but not before Anakin realizes that Obi-Wan somehow is still alive. Fortune cookie is, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. Mm. The classic piece of advice, you know, it's, it's of course seen in this episode where Obi, uh, where what Obi-Wan does to gain the begrudging, but still trust of Eval and Bane. Yeah. What do you so, think of that? What? Um, first off, I think uh, we've completed the. Uh, it's uh, very rare we've gone three for three this episode with um, uh, unoriginal fortune cookies. Really? Yes. I really it's, like the. Like, I, I'm not saying they're not good or not applicable, some of them, but none of them are. Or, or I should say, maybe all of them are like easily, all of them are easily attributed to like common sayings or to some specific quotes. Oh, interesting. Rather than at least, at the very least, being obscure enough 
the pass for for original. Yeah, because I co- I quite like the friend in need one, but I agree with you that this is eh, yeah. only okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. That's not to say it's necessarily bad, but yeah, it's not quite. It's not original. Yeah, it's not. It's not quite that original. Um. But uh, I think um, obviously yeah uh. Obi-Wan has to keep Cad Bane very close, and that proves to be a problem for him. Um, and for Cad Bane, who kind of... Cad Bane kind of keeps no one close. Um, he's very, very standoffish. He's very testy. He's yeah. he's, he's a menace. He's, he's not very friendly to anyone. Um, as we see but, in the Bad Batch, for, as we've seen the Bad Batch very recently, you've yeah. watched this episode, I'm pretty sure. Yes, so, yes, I have. You know, the way he treats... Toto, his own droid, yeah, is still not Freaking that great. Loved. In a way, yeah, the the enemies are even being kept closer than the friends. How like Absolutely. Anakin doesn't even know that Obi Wan's alive, and the fact that the Council chooses not to divulge that information, it kind of comes back to to bite them in the butt a little bit. I'd say as uh, Anakin, you know, tries to hunt down Hardeen and ends up almost. He ends up almost kind of blowing the mission. Um, yep. But, you know, I mean, can you really blame him? Like, he thought Obi-Wan was dead. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm not blaming Anakin for this. I'm blaming the council for this fully. Yeah, um, council kind yeah. of messed, council kind of messed that one up. So here's a weird thing I wanted to tell you about this episode before we go into depth about it. I have a weird past with this episode. My experience with this arc of the Clone Wars was a three-episode arc. Deception, The Box, and Crisis on Naboo. Mm, yeah, yeah, I yeah. did not go back to watch Friends and Enemies until a lot later. I don't know why it was. But this episode, even though it's not, it's not at all bad, I just feel like this episode is very unnecessary. I feel like if they added a few more little things to Deception and The Box, this could have been a three-episode arc. Of those three, yeah, I think it's kind of cool that we get to you know just just in general learn learn a little bit more about Cad Bane, get to know him a little more. Yeah, because he's I think he's he's a very cool character. Um, but yeah, it definitely isn't the most. It definitely isn't like the number one episode in terms of of plot importance. But you know, I yeah. I still think it serves its purpose. The in biggest... terms of showing Anakin's response to it and kind of, you know, what happens when, like, maybe things aren't 100% okay between Obi-Wan and Anakin. Like, what then, you know? Yeah. The, the biggest strength of this episode is what it does to develop the characters, the, yeah, in my opinion. The, bi- the biggest weakness, in my opinion, is, as I've said before, there's nothing that happens this episode, at least for me, that I feel like directly affects the other two episodes. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, it, like, like, look, there's, there, the biggest thing that probably affects the next two episodes is that Bane has seen how resourceful Rego Hardeen is and trusts him a little more in the box in Crisis on Naboo. Although not really, because he says in um, Crisis on Naboo, I'm keeping my eye on all of them. But that's just a wary Cad Bane thing. But I, yeah. I think Cad Bane, personally, my headcanon is that Cad Bane knows like he knows that Hardeen is an imposter, but he can't let on that he knows, or things could get ugly. 
I'm not convinced of that because of a line he says in Crisis on Naboo. Kenobi, I should have known. Like That's that true. reaction was too genuine to be fake. Yeah. Or like if that's I forgot about that line to be fair. So maybe like he suspect I feel like at the very least he has to suspect something, you know? I I I actually agree with that idea that he might suspect something. I'm not sure that he knows though. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's yeah, maybe that's more that's definitely more likely actually given the line. But yeah, like Yeah. You know, Cad Bane, he's, he's no fool. No, he he's no himself. fool. Absolutely not. Then again, this plot was very meticulously crafted. Um, oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you want to... Uh, uh, talk about this conversation. I really love this conversation. Um, the conversation between Anakin and Palpatine. Uh... Yeah, I didn't have a ton of thoughts about it. Do you want to? Oh, do you want to maybe start to lead us? I love it so much. I love it so much. It 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 it's so great. Um, you look troubled, Anakin. Um, it is possible. He's referring to Jedi Council. It is possible that they do not trust you to control your feelings. In it Revenge so... of the Sith, Palpatine says to Anakin, "They don't trust you, Anakin." It's Palpatine. One of the best things about this arc, in my opinion, is how Palpatine's string pulling becomes yeah. way more methodical. It's less. It's just let. It's less about boosting Anakin's ego and lowering his opinion of the Jedi, and more about pointing out exactly where Anakin's doing it wrong and how he could have it better. Yeah. It's it's haunting. Um, yeah, it's so it's so good. It really just shows how, how how much he's thought everything out. Absolutely. I I said in my notes, you know, um, the the best plan in this episode is not the Jedi Council's plan, and it's not a Rollo Evolve's plan. It's Palpatine's plan. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Uh, and, and that, and I love it that Palpatine and the Jedi are arguing about whose plan is better, but Palpatine knows that his plan beats both of them in a landslide. Um, yeah. so he can, like, relax and breathe easy. Um, yeah, uh, I also love this, um, you cannot deny your feelings, Anakin, they're what makes you special. And then let's flash back to Attack of the Clones. I continue to say that you are the mo one of the most gifted Jedi I have ever met. Watch what he does with that strategy. He like gives he gives Anakin the special attention and like the praise that Anakin like emotionally craves and needs. But special among who? The Jedi. So what he's doing is he is sneakily, he is backhandedly saying, Anakin, you're better than them. Oh, you yeah. can do so much better than them. Your emotion is what makes you special what makes you special, Anakin. The other Jedi never feel anything, and that's holding them back. But you, my boy, you're the one who has discovered the secret. Yeah. And that makes you 
better than them. It's it's a very tricky strategy, and I it's crazy. I love it so much. It's it's you know, and 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 watch Anakin's actions this episode when 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 the bartender doesn't tell him information about Hardeen and his associates, he force chokes him. Is there any other time before this that Anakin um, force chokes somebody except for that time in uh, Brandon Vader's when he force chokes Pablo Lesser? Because I can't think of anything. Yeah, I... I would guess that there's probably not, like... like yeah. Yeah, it, I don't it's, know. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it gets, it gets crazy in this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Um, oh, and speaking of also, um, Palpatine tells uh, Yoda and Mace... I suggest you have more faith in young Skywalker. He's done his tricks on Anakin. Now he's manipulating the council to be more against Anakin so that the wedge widens. It's ingenious. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so great. It's really great. It, it's awesome. Um, do you have anything about the first half of this episode? Not really. I think it's very. I think it's very good. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What? Is, um. Yeah. Uh. So there's this catch twenty two at the end of the episode, and it's this weird one because you know that Anakin and Ahsoka cannot kill Obi Wan because Obi Wan will remain alive for the rest of the war, of course. Yeah. You also know that nothing can happen to Ahsoka or Anakin. So we have this weird thing where you know a confrontation is coming, but you know that no side can do anything real to the other. Yoda has that line, kill Hardeen, Skywalker might, or die trying he may. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, it's, 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 it's ridiculous that Yoda just, and I love Yoda, it's ridiculous that Yoda figures this out just now. Yeah. Like you could say that about a lot of things in the Clone Wars though, to be fair. It, yeah, it's just yeah. It's it's a um it's 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 really interesting. Um like I figured out things in this episode faster than Yoda did. Yeah. I mean I have the added foresight of having seen the, this arc a few times, but like still. I figured things out before Yoda did. That's not me bragging. That's me shaming my favorite Star Wars character a little bit for his incompetence. I will say this. Um, hearing Obi-Wan say Anakin in Reiko Hardin's voice during that final fight is, like, heartbreaking. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of... I, I need somebody, and I might do it myself, to edit a sequence of... of Rico's voice saying um, Anakin and um, Vader's voice saying Ahsoka in Twilight of the Apprentice. Yeah. Done. 
That's that's the same that's the same moment. It's great. Yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah. Um anything else for the episode? Nope. I think you covered it. Okay. Um what do you think overall about friends and enemies? I like it. I think it's another good episode. Very solid. Um Yeah, I think it could uh Yeah. I don't know. It could it could have had a little more build up, but I really liked it. Um, I was pretty blown away by some of the stuff that happened um, and the intensity that it reached. Like even though you knew that all the characters had to stay alive or the ones that mattered, they still managed to really make it hit, which I I thought was very cool. Yeah. Um... I guess I'll say this about this episode. Again, I, 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 I will say that the true trilogy of this is Deception, Box, Crisis on Naboo. Um, and this episode feels extremely... It, it feels forced in there a little bit to me. Maybe that's because I saw it after the other three, but they're... Yeah. And I, I, I can't help but wonder what a better use for this episode could be. That's my main complaint with this episode is what things could they have done that they didn't do? You know, they could have done, they could have uh, talked about, you know, the, the, uh, the general, uh, shoot, what's that word? The general dissonance between um, Obi-Wan and Hardeen. And those, <coughs> yeah. And those personalities of obi and those personalities that are interacting with an Obi-Wan right now, they could have, done stuff about, like, explored more of Cat Bane's character. They could have explored Evolve a little bit more. It, this is what it feels like. It feels like they're, it feels like this episode's treading water a little bit. Mm. But that's just me. Um, yeah. Uh, what would be your ranking for these three? Mm, I would say uh, number one uh, deception. Actually, no. Number one, um, a friend in need. Number two, friends and enemies. Number three, deception. But I thought mine, they were all very close. Yeah. Mine would be number one, a friend in need. Number two, deception. Number three, friends and enemies. So the order in which we watched them. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I thought these were three pretty solid episodes. Um, friends and enemies, of course, being my least favorite of the three. But it, again, there was nothing bad about the episode. Um, there were lack of things that made me think this episode was good, um, in my opinion. Okay. Um, is that it? Are we going to go on to everybody's favorite part of Star Wars and the Galaxy? I think we can. Okay, it's time for everybody's favorite part of Star Wars and the Galaxy. What you've got me today is worth one quarter portion. Yes. One quarter portion. Um, the segment of the show where we do something a little bit different. This week we have this month uh, where we talk about um what star wars we've enjoyed most this month uh jacob you want to start or do you want me to start uh you, you go for it you start lead us off i would say i'm gonna nominate for my this month i'm gonna go with the final two episodes of star wars the bad batch season one have you still not seen it I, I have not seen them. I've, okay, I've I will. Lot, I will provide no spoilers. Um, I've been pretty much living under a rock. We're, in we're terms good. Of new I, content for the past uh, couple months. 
I will say I will say this about the last episodes of the Bad Batch. If you know, you know. Um, these two episodes have some emotional reveals, some interesting developments within the characters, some great moments, and I can't wait for season two. So, um, yeah, Jacob, what's your this month? My this month is. Thrawn Ascendancy Chaos Rising. That's the first one, right? Make sure I'm getting it right. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I I just finished that book. Um I loved it. Um it was a little bit hard to get into for me. Um I I'm reading it for some reason I experienced severe uh name fatigue. <laughs> I was having a very difficult time uh keep keeping everyone keeping everyone Straight. straight in my mind um but i'm glad that i did um it was really good i loved you know got, getting to see that backstory for thrawn um getting to see a little bit more inside the chis ascendancy how they're handling that with the canon i absolutely loved uh all the all the twists and turns and i really liked kind of getting to know um Thalius and the the system of the uh the caretakers for the skywalkers and i really thought that they did some cool things you know uh, digging into that what is it like to be a skywalker you know the feeling of uh the feelings of, of obsolescence maybe and like all the pressure that puts you under and then also all the you know political uh you know the the infighting the wheeling and dealing i thought that was all very cool so yeah i enjoyed it i'm very interested to check that book out when i um get around Early to enjoyable. It. yeah um okay i think that is going to be it for this episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy. Thank you so much for listening. Um, next episode, um, next week, I mean, not next week, next episode, because it's going to be in two weeks. Next episode, we are going to be talking about, we're going to be finishing that arc, The Box and Crisis on Naboo. We're also going to be talking about the standalone episode, Massacre. Um, it's actually not a standalone episode. It ties into an arc that we'll get into the following episode, but... Um, that's what's going on. Um, in the meantime, uh, if you have not already, um, you can, of course, follow us and listen to us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we'll be there. Follow us on Twitter at In a Galaxy Pod, Instagram at Star Wars In a Galaxy. Check out our YouTube channel, Star Wars In a Galaxy. You can email us with all your questions and hot takes. We love hearing from listeners at SWInAGalaxy at gmail.com. Um, is there anything else? I don't think so. Um, I'll just, uh, mention again, the next episode will premiere in two weeks. That will be, um, September, uh, 8th will be the next premiere date. Um, and in the meantime, uh, may the force be with you always. <laughs>